Stu Does America. Get your 36 bucks off an annual subscription to Blaze TV Plus when you use the code Stu Plus at blazetv.com slash Stu. Why wouldn't you do it? It's a lot of fun. If you're watching on YouTube, that's fine too. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the channel if you don't mind though and uh, like all of our videos. Maybe hit the bell for notifications. We do appreciate it. By the way, that's an important one, particularly tonight because we're going to be going live doing expanded debate coverage, uh, probably some before, but definitely after. Uh, the debate tonight. So if you click the bell for notifications, you'll know when that starts. Follow the page as well. If you want to comment uh, during and ask questions, uh, you have to be a follower of the page. So please do that. Greg Wrightstone is going to be here to tell you all about whether a climate change apocalypse is in your future. I'll recap yesterday's elections. We'll go through some of the debate stuff as well. But we start by doing the state of the 2024 race. Part seven. Part seven. Uh, that was the... Part seven was the uh, the first new Star Wars uh, of the recent three. And it's the only one, honestly, of the recent three worth watching, frankly. So part seven, you got to know this is going to be good. Um, let's start with the Washington Examiner headline that really wrapped the night very, very well. Huge night for the party of abortion, marijuana and pornography. <laughs> yeah. Good job, everybody. Uh, glad to have the, you know, uh, hand those people a wonderful night. I will say the pornography part of that, obviously we know abortion and marijuana were the Ohio ballot measures, but the uh, pornography part of that was the representative who had sex with her husband for money on camera uh, multiple times and then acted like it was leaked footage and called it a sex crime that people uh, saw the footage, which was an interesting perspective uh, considering she publicly posted it. But that being said, she actually wound up losing. So that's the one good piece of news I suppose you can take out of last night. It wasn't a great night for Republicans. I, I will say, I, I hope I prepared you for this. I did not think any of these things were going to go the opposite way. Um, you know, the big one was in Ohio, probably with abortion. And this is going to be central to the, the um, policy going forward and the approach going forward in 2024, where they try to make a, a abortion into this uh, big issue uh, for to activate left-wing voters. To give you an example of how far this went, uh, in Ohio in 2020, uh, Republicans, uh, and, and Donald Trump in particular, took the state easily. Repo uh, Trump won the state by eight points. The electorate that showed up last night was a Biden plus two electorate. So the people who voted for Donald Trump did not come out uh, and did not come out and hold this state and, and instead turned Ohio into basically California or Illinois or New York on the issue of abortion. It's a fascinating approach because the, the left, you know, they don't, everyone tells me they're supposed to, you should go moderate. And I get the instinct to that. You don't want to offend voters. They might not be as extreme as you or I are on the issue of life. I don't know where you stand, but like I'm, you know, pretty far to the pro-life side. And there's a, a weird dynamic that goes on, particularly with this issue, which is both parties' stances on abortion are not very popular. This is something that nobody wants to admit, but it's true. The left's position, which they uh, uh, personified in uh, Ohio last night, is abortion at every moment of pregnancy, basically. That's what they want. Uh, they want you to be able to get it anytime, no matter if the kid is basically halfway out. They're, they're, they're fine. Whatever you want to do, uh, it's a woman's choice after all. That is a position held by almost no Americans. You know, it's about between, depending on which exact process. The third trimester is about 14% support. So 
That's not a very popular position. The Republicans' position isn't really popular either, frankly. The standard position for a Republican, this is not my position, but I'm just saying a general position, is um, a a very strict, if you will, abortion uh, ban, maybe six weeks, maybe no weeks at all, um, with maybe an exception for abortion and uh, uh, rape or an incest. Um, That position is more popular than being able to abort in the ninth month. Uh, But not that much more as people, generally speaking, approve of abortion in the first trimester. Again, I think that's uh, abhorrent, but I don't get to make the rules. I'm to the right of even the Republican Party, in case you're wondering. But that's a whole nother story. The point here is that it's all about messaging. Neither side actually has the audience here. Everyone's just looking to message what they have in the best possible way. And the Democrats did that by adding things like contraception and uh, miscarriage care and all these other completely unrelated, nonsensical things that have nothing to do with the actual issue at front. And the average voter goes in there, haven't heard much about this. They're not really following it. They walk in there and they say, wow, well, not a big abortion fan, but I don't want to lose contraception. So I'll vote for this. They knew what they were doing. They were trying to fool people into approving the deaths of children. I'm not willing to compromise on that. You know, I I understand that it might not always be a winning issue. I had a long conversation with uh, Megyn Kelly earlier today. I encourage you to to listen to it. And she makes some really great points about the politics and what this is going to mean for the Republican Party going forward. It may result in some real election defeats. And that's not great if you happen to be someone who cares about conservative policy. Really hard to pass good abortion uh, uh, legislation. When you have no power and there's a real argument to that, there's different approaches that need to be made in different areas. But if you're not going to, you know, this is something you got to be to me is worth fighting for. You know, Texas has passed a really restrictive abortion bill and uh, tens of thousands of lives have already been saved because of it. This is a this is something that I think is worth fighting for. You just have to fight smart. And Republicans seem to be caught completely off guard that Roe versus Wade was overturned which I was kind of off guard too, frankly. I mean, I never thought it was going to happen in my lifetime. But it did happen, and you need to have some sort of approach. So far, everything they've thrown at the wall has not worked, including what they tried in Virginia, which was a 15-week ban, which only eliminates about 3% of abortions. I mean, it's really, to me, it's not even a, it's barely even a pro-life law at all. And yet even that did not help uh, the conservative movement in Virginia. They were defeated handily. So, What do you do going forward? There's a lot to think about. You're going to see a lot of this on the debate tonight. We will go over that probably more in depth tomorrow, and I will definitely do it on YouTube tonight. So don't miss it. YouTube.com slash Stu Does America. Get expanded coverage of what happens in the debates tonight. You really, I mean, look, with everything they're going after when it comes to Donald Trump, even if you love Donald Trump, even if he's your number one guy, you need to have a secondary candidate because Frankly, they may throw this guy in prison, uh, rightfully so or not. So you really need to have uh, a secondary choice. We will go through that as well tonight uh, on YouTube.com slash Stu Does America. And we'll be back tomorrow to discuss on radio. I'm on with Pat Gray tomorrow and, of course, back here on Stu Does America tomorrow.
Let me tell you about Moinkbox. 60% of U.S. pork production comes from a single company in China that loads up their hogs with chemicals that are illegal in 160 countries. Yet, you can find it in your grocery store aisles today. Am I making you hungry? Probably not. But I will tell you, if you can have a better choice, you might get very hungry, and that's Moink. It's, uh, they like to name it. It was fun. Moo plus Oink equals Moink. What does the Moink box actually deliver to you, though? They deliver grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Monk farmers do it, you know, like the grandparents did back in the day. Uh, as a result, their meat tastes like it should because it's the fam from a family farm, and the family farm does it better. Uh, I'm not a meat eater myself, as you may know, but my family uh, does eat meat, and they love Moink Box. They love when, we, when one comes in because they know they're going to get the best meat on the market. The Moink difference is a difference you can taste. Sign up for today for MoinkBox.com at MoinkBox.com slash stew. You'll get a free, uh, free, I mean, listen to this deal, free ground beef for an entire year. One year of the best ground beef you'll ever taste. It's available for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K, box.com, moinkbox.com, slash stew. It's moinkbox.com, slash stew. Happy to welcome Greg Wrightstone back to the program. He's a geologist and the executive director of the CO2 Coalition and author of the upcoming book, A Very Convenient Warming, How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. You can pick that up on December 8th. It's going to make you very popular with the mainstream media, Greg. Yeah, I don't, I don't anticipate being on NBC, <laughs> CBS, no. or NPR anytime soon. No, despite the fact that you have a lot of evidence in this book, uh, including, it's like a chart of Palooza in here. I mean, it's just constant charts and information here. You're not trying to be hyperbolic. You're trying to give people actual information about what's really happening. Yeah, like the first book, Inconvenient Facts, I wrote this for the everyday Joe and Jane on the street that aren't scientists. It's not dumbed down. But I provide easily understandable charts and references, and it's all, it's all a lot of it's based from NASA, NOAA, National Oceanographic and mm -hmm. Atmospheric Administration, the intergovernment, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Mm -hmm. uh, this is basic science data, but we're looking at it and interpreting a little bit differently. And the last time I was on with you, we talked about how there is no climate crisis. And I've really evolved mm -hmm. since that point beyond that there, yes, there is no climate crisis, that's for sure. But what I find and I explore in this book is that by almost every metric, we see that Earth's ecosystems are thriving and prospering and humanity is benefiting greatly from the combination of modest warming and more CO2. And that's that's to be celebrated. Yeah, you really go through um, all all of this information in the book. And I want to get to all of this uh, if we can today. Uh, let me start, though, with, with, with a quirky thing that you point out, which illustrates your overall point here. Tell me the connection between climate change and witches. Oh. It's just fascinating. It is. It is fascinating. Um, we have these, we see that Earth goes through cycles. And over the last several thousand years, I love the relationship between human history and climate history. And that relationship shows us that the previous warm periods were warmer than today, and they were hugely beneficial. Great civilizations and empires rose up during these really warm times, and then things became horrific when it started cooling. Uh, the last great warming period was called the medieval warm period, the time of the high Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. When you think about the great uh, cathedrals being built. That's the high Middle Ages. And then things went horrifically wrong when it started cooling, and it led to crop failure, famine, pestilence, and mass depopulation. Mm. And it was blamed on weather-causing witches. 
uh, that they said these weather-causing witches were, were causing this crop failure. And what's, what's interesting, Stu, uh, there were thousands of witches killed. And in the book, I've got a chart where I, uh, part of the chart shows witches killed per decade yeah. on, the, on the top and actually really cold summers on the bottom mm. and the strong relationship. Uh, what's funny, about 1540, the year 1540, it warmed up again. Crops came back. Uh, the uh, people were happy. The food was bountiful once again. And they bl- what they said was, we did really good. We killed all the witches. <laughs> now, now God is bestowing us with, with warm weather and huge harvests. And then it really started getting cold. And so uh, today's witches are the fossil fuel companies and those people mm-hmm. driving uh, internal combustion engine cars were were the witches that are being blamed for the horrific, and they aren't that hor- they aren't horrific, uh, climate catastrophe that they are blaming on more CO2. Yeah, it really is amazing. I mean, you know, it gets cold, uh, society gets worse, people don't know what to blame, they blame witches, they kill all the witches, it warms back up, they think they've solved the problem. It's amazing. Right. Um, uh, let me talk about the, the, the difference between uh, hot and cold here, because we have this... Uh, and you go back so far in history in the book, right? You go back so far. And we have this idea that history started like around 1800, right? Like when you look at these climate charts, you know, you're in the mid 1800s and they start, you know, showing you, oh, well, it's gone up since then. You go much farther back and look at the big picture in the book. And that's really important. Yeah, indeed. And especially, per- particularly recently, they've been saying it's the hottest yeah. year ever, decade, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And, and that's true if your record only goes back to 1850 or so. Because think about it, we've been warming for more than 300 years, and we're in a warming trend. It's been warming in fits mm-hmm. and starts. So, uh, and I'm okay, again, looking back through human history, that's always been very good to, for humans uh, during these warm periods. Uh, but if we look back through longer periods, back to the medieval warm period, it was warmer than it, then than it is today. We know that for, through historical records of where were grapes being grown? And olive groves were much further north. I, I have a picture in the book there of my wife and I standing on the Mendenhall Glacier. Mm. And a thousand feet below our feet, uh, the, the glacier's retreating, but it's exposing mature forests from a thousand years ago during wow. this one period. Think about it. So now we've got a thousand feet of ice. And a thousand years ago, this was a, a mature forest. Uh, it had to have been a lot warmer. The, the Vikings were growing barley on Greenland, which you can't do today. Uh, a lot of these historical facts we capture, uh, and we also see, too, uh, for example, the, the greatest warm period during our first, it was called the, Br- the Bronze Age, the Minoan Warm Period, really, really warm. Uh, we know that for, again, historical records, they were growing a crop called millet in Scandinavia, mm-hmm. which can only be grown in semi-tropical climates in Scandinavia, so it had yeah. been a lot warmer. Yeah, I mean, and I just pulled out this article, this is from pretty recently, Earth has its warmest October on record. This is they, this was all over the news, constantly. Uh, the, uh, the quote I loved was, um, it is gobsmackingly hot. That was the term from the scientist. I don't know if t- scientists typically use the word gobsmackingly. Um, but like, this is the pitch from the media constantly. And one of the things I think we've lost sight of when we don't look back at real historical data is, you know, 
cold is worse for people. Like when you have, even today, cold winters kill far more people than hot summers. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. The greatest study of its kind, uh, Antonio Gasparini, uh, looked at 74 million temperature-related deaths and concluded that 20 times as many people die due to cold as due to heat. 20 times. Uh, Another study was uh, recent. It, It concluded 15 times. Uh, so what does that tell us? It tells us that global warming saves lives and people's <laughs> heads explode yeah. whenever, whenever, whenever you say that. But it's true uh, that a warming climate will save many millions of lives from cold related deaths. Why is that so hard for like because I think we have this weird thing that we do as human beings. It's kind of part of our psychology, I think, where we think whatever it is now we can't let that change. Like the, whatever, whatever it has been or what we're familiar with is the norm and any change from that is bad. And that's where this comes from, it seems like. But like maybe change can be good too, right? Well, change is good. And change is what we're, the, the change that we are seeing now uh, is just hugely beneficial. Uh, the, probably the greatest aspect that we see, the combination of warming Mm -hmm. and more CO2 is leading to just an explosion of agricultural production. And in the book I capture, if you look at the top eight crops that are being produced in the world by tonnage, those eight, if you just look at those, the growth, the crop production records, they're just breaking records year after year after year. It's due to warming temperatures means longer growing seasons. For example, in the continental United States, growing season has lengthened by two weeks since 1900. Mm. That means more plantings. Uh, killing frosts are stop earlier in the spring, arrive later in the fall. If you're, if you're a, a farmer, you're uh, growing apples, what do you fear most? Right. Late, late frost. Frost, yeah. And we don't have that now because we're having more warming. And so this is a blessing. So we're, we're feeding a growing population. Now, sometimes um, the critics of, 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 the, of a climate skeptic like yourself might say, hey, um, yes, there's been warming before, we've seen it before, but this is much faster. I hear that one all the time. Like this, we've had these gradual rises and falls, but this is just extreme. It's too quick, we can't handle it. Well, that's just not true. Actually, since 2016, uh, a lot of these spikes of temperature are related to what's called an El Nino event. Sure. We saw the 98, 16, we're just starting one right now, and that might be spiking some of the temperatures. But since 2016, for seven years, we had no warming. It was actually a slight decline. Uh, I haven't plugged in the last month or so of data, but up until last month, we'd actually seen flat or slightly declining temperatures for the last seven years. And if you look, when our warming period started, it was in the depths of the Little Ice Age. We know when it started, it was the year 1695. Mm. The next 40 years warmed at a rate 10 times what the 20th century rate was. Uh, So we've seen this before. And uh, they're talking about it's unusual and unprecedented. No, it's not. You mm. need to look at the full data set. Uh, I think you look at a, uh, uh, I don't know, first world country, if you will, uh, like the United States. We, we have been able to adapt to these things, right? And we know that climate-related deaths are way, way, way down uh, over the last 100 years. That's all really positive. The, the, the left, a lot of times, though, kind of comes at you with this attack of, 
it's not the rich countries you have to worry about. The rich countries called us all the problems. The poor countries, it's these island nations, these small island nations, they're going to be overcome uh, by, by what is uh, on the way, and they have no way to deal with it. The U.N. is talking now and, and starting a climate fund that's going to take money from rich countries, give it to poor countries. I mean, do they have anything on these smaller island nations? Oh, this, this is fascinating. Mm. Um, the U.N. has a list of most at-risk islands. Mm -hmm. At top of their list are the Maldives and the Indian Ocean. It's only the highest point on the Maldives is 14 feet. And it's going to be underwater in a couple of decades, we're told. Well, okay, well, let's look at this. 15,000 years ago, the Maldives were also just above sea level. In the last 15,000 years, sea level has risen 400 feet. But here we are, wow. the Maldives just above sea level. And that these islands grow. It's a geologic process known as accretion. Uh, accretion. Uh, where the near shore face, the sands and the gravels during storms wash up on the island. It's a slow process, but it occurs over thousands of years. And so what they're telling you is, uh, if we look at the sea level, rate of sea level rise today, by, by 2050, it will have risen another two inches, just about your, up to your ankles. Mm. So what they're telling you is that first 400 feet of sea level rise didn't put the <laughs> islands over under water, but that next two inches, that'll do it. That'll put them underwater. Uh, no, it won't. Uh, it, it, uh, let me, let me yeah, add one more no, thing. Go ahead. <laughs> this, is, this is hugely important. <laughs> yeah. uh, if, you, if you Googled Maldives and Forbes, you'll see that there was an article in Forbes recently there are 14 island resorts being constructed on the Maldives mm. and three airports. So they're investing tens of millions of dollars and it's being insured by multinational insurance companies. Insurance companies avoid risk like the plague. Sure. Are they going to insure something that's going to be underwater in 20 years? No, they're not going to do it because they know it's not going to be. It's mm, fascinating. It seems like they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth here. Um, I want to come back on the other side and talk to you about... Um, the benefits of, of, of what we're looking at, the, the lies from the mainstream media, and a whole lot more on the climate. We're talking to Greg Wrightstone. He's the author of the upcoming book, A Very Convenient Warming, How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. You can pre-order it right now. We're back in a second. Let me tell you about realestateagentsitrust.com. I mean, I guess if you're, if you're going to sell your home and, and go to the Maldives where uh, they'll, they will be happy to insure you, um, you need to sell your home here and you need a good real estate agent to do that. It, you know, buying and selling homes is a tough process. It's, it can be a lot of hassles. And this is one of your you know, biggest investments you're ever going to make in your entire life. Who do you go with as a real estate agent? Well, you know, a lot of people just kind of pick their friends or like somebody they know or maybe somebody they saw in an ad. It's not the most uh, thorough way to go through that process. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a great uh, vehicle for people to figure out who the best agent in their town is. They've got a, a huge slew of agents, but many of them are fans of the show and of The Blaze. And, you know, Glenn started this company years ago to try to make this easy for people. It's hard to check. You're on your own. How do you go through this process? Well, they know. They go through it, and it's a free service to you. So whether you're buying or selling a home, check out realestateagentsitrust.com. The name kind of says it all. Check it out now, realestateagentsitrust.com. We're back with Greg Wrightstone, author of the upcoming book, A Very Convenient Warming, How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. It's available December 8th, wherever you get your books, you can pre-order it now. So the, the appeal to people's emotions on this topic is really powerful. I mean, I, 
people feel like the weather is not something that they can control. And so when someone says there's a huge tragedy coming your way, we saw this, you know, when, when they started to try to sell us that the Maui fires were caused by uh, climate change. It, it has a way of getting people activated. They feel, I need to do something. And the only thing they you know, feel like they've been presented is we need to stop driving SUVs or something. The fires have really been a big push on this over the past few years. They tried this in Australia. They said, oh, so much you know, acreage had been burned. We find out later it wasn't really all that much, all that exceptional at all. In fact, it was kind of below average. Um, Canada was a big push this past year. What is the actual truth when it comes to these wildfires? I mean, is climate change drying things out and making it worse? No, actually, more CO2 leads to greater soil moisture content. Uh, I'm going to go into the de- details of the science. Uh, and no, globally, fires are not increasing. The Copernicus satellite was launched about 15 years ago. And using that, we can measure acreage burn globally, accurately. And we see there that acreage burn globally is declining significantly. We also see in the lower 48 states of the United States, um, the recent national climate assessment showed this shocking increase in area burned. Uh, and I, you looked at it, but it wasn't in that report. They didn't source or reference it. Uh, and their chart started in 1983. Mm-hmm. Well, I found where it came from. It was from the National Interagency Fire Center. And that data goes back to 1926. They didn't show the old data. The only cap started in 19... And why did they start in 1983? Because 1983 had the lowest both number and area burned in the 20th century. So if you're going to start, if you're going to create a chart that shows an alarming increase in fires, started at the lowest point in the 20th century, which is what they did. Looking at the full data set, you'll see that fires in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s even were uh, five times what they are today. Mm-hmm. both the number and the area burned in the United States. It is true portions of the western port part of the United States, the Sierra Nevadas. We've seen an increase in large and intense fires, uh, but that's a, that's a forest management problem, not a climate change-related problem. We've, we've gone away from managing our forests um, and in, in order to save these in, supposed endangered animals when, in fact, um, the endangered animals are being killed with these large, intense fires hmm. from right. a poorly managed forest system. This isn't a mistake. When they start a chart at the lowest possible point of, uh, of a rise uh, and the lowest point in history, when they have previous data, that's not a mistake. That, they're manipulating people intentionally. There, there, another good example was a UN report uh, last year was issued saying that there was a five-fold rise in natural disasters. And I looked at that and... According to the chart they used, yeah, there was a five-fold rise. It started in 1980, mm-hmm. and there was a huge increase in natural disasters up to 2,000, and then a decline. I contacted the person in charge of the data who admitted that, well, okay, you caught us. Uh, it was actually an increase in the stations. We started adding stations in 1980, and we finally built the stations out by the year 2000. And she admitted that there wasn't actually an increase in natural disasters, but rather an increase in reporting. And since that time, we've seen a 10% decline in natural disaster. And this is what they do. They manipulate, yeah. they torture the data, they torture the statistics. They start with a, with their conclusion and fit the data to that conclusion. Yeah, that's a real problem. I mean, you know, it's one thing to lie for political purposes and you're lying on social media. I mean, I would recommend doing anything that has thou shalt not in front of it. Um, but when you're doing it in effort to secure millions, billions, I mean, globally, 
trillions of dollars that would be needed to fight this process. I mean, it feels more like a crime than just a little white lie. Yeah, there's, and as a scientist, it angers me. Uh, we should honor the scientific method. And part of that means there should be a robust debate. Uh, but mm. people like, like me and the, my fellow scientists at the CO2 Coalition, uh, we're being silenced and uh, we're not allowed to speak out. Uh, fortunately, we've had a, a recent Nobel laureate in physics, Dr. John Clauser, who's, who's unabashed and unafraid. Uh, in fact, he was at the White House being honored uh, this past spring, and he told Joe Biden, he shook Joe Biden's hand, he said, uh, President Biden, I said, he said, your, your science you're using for energy and climate is just wrong. And Joe Biden responded and said, you're just spouting right-wing science. And so Joe's lecturing the current Nobel laureate in physics. No and, way, uh, really. Uh, so, uh, but he's he's unafraid and he's he's making a he's making a splash. It's uh-huh. hard to call him a science denier. Yeah, very 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 difficult to do though to do so. Now I do hear the kind of less science based but more experience based stuff from people a lot. Even here in Texas, we we went through a summer here this past summer. That I, it, it was pretty hot here. I mean, there was a lot of 100-degree days. You know, every once in a while, we seem to get hit with one of these summers. Uh, I remember, I think it was 2011, where it was really hot. And it seemed like every day for, I think it was 40-something days in a row, it was crazy, over 100 degrees. I mean, people think, hey, I, I, even if I don't want to stop driving my SUV, it does seem to be getting hotter. We, we are seeing more of these 100-degree days. Well, actually, that, if we look at maximum temperatures and peak temperatures, uh, I just looked at Texas. And oh, I, okay. I gave a presentation just a couple of hours ago, and I included Texas-specific data. And if we look at the percent of days above 100 degrees in Texas, uh, there's no increase. There's mm-hmm. a slight decline. And that data goes back to 1895. Wow. And we see maximum temperatures. We see the same thing. It's, it's spiking up and down. Some, some years are hot. I mean, this summer, they were, summer's the best time to be a climate alarmist, by the way. But, you know, they were talking about hurricanes, uh, fires, heat waves. Well, it's hurricane season and there are hurricanes. It's fire season and there are fires. And it's summer in Texas and it's hot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow. This happens. Yeah. Uh, there, but the, the fact is, you have to look at the science, the facts, and the data. And don't do it in a short period. Do it in a longer period to see the whole history. Um, Let's talk a little bit about climate models. Um, One of the things I've been sort of obsessed with over the past few years is RCP 8.5, which uh, they released a bunch of scenarios that could could happen in the future. This is years and years ago. And 8.5 was like their worst case scenario where they said, okay, everyone, I don't know, just turns their house into an oil, uh, you know, oil burning facility and just lets CO2 go into the air forever. And it it skyrocketed the the, uh, CO2 levels and the temperatures skyrocketed along with all of those projections. I mean, is there any chance now that we've gone through a good chunk of this time that we could even come close to hitting the projections that they made at that time? Well, we certainly haven't seen it in the data. If we if we look at the temperature data, uh, again, we just talked about since 2016, the temperatures have been pretty flat. Uh, it, it goes up and down in spikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we, we have to look at, again, put this in the long-term perspective. Uh, and uh, again, we, we just don't see this occurring. There's a chart in your book that shows all the various models and kind of gives a a nice big fat line of the average of the projections going back many years and and into the future. And it also, on the same chart, lays out what actually happened. 
And what you see there is far less warming than they projected. And that's correct. That was a chart done by Dr. John Christie. Um, and it, it looks at the 100 models used by the IPCC and projects them and then compares it to actual measured satellite data uh, and, and also balloon data where they measure temperatures. This is real-world real data and what they found uh, that the model temperatures are two and a half times too warm. They're, mm. they're greatly over-predicting the warmth. In the tropics, it's even worse, three times. Uh, there was one climate model that got it right. It was the Russian model. But out of the 100-plus models, one model got pretty close to the right, uh, to the right compared to the actual temperatures. Yeah. And what's fascinating about this is not necessarily just that they got it wrong. Because, look, I will say uh, my de only defense of uh, some of the climate stuff that we see is it's actually really hard, right? Like, it's, it's a lot of factors. It's a chaotic system. Predicting the temperature down to the tenth of a degree over a globe, it, it's, I would argue, impossible. Um, but what is fascinating about this is they continue to use those high-end projections to give you the scary reports that you're getting, even though we know we're far enough into this process that we're never gonna hit those projections. Well, there was a recent study done, uh, it was authored by Zeke Hausfather, who is one of the uh, father, he's one of the uh, top climate models and modelers, and he admitted, and his co-authors admit that, yeah, the, the, our climate models we've been using are running, too, what he called running too hot. Mm. And we have to take these and take another look at these things. Because we're making, we're making decisions, policy decisions, tax decisions uh, that are going to cost trillions of dollars just in the United States mm. based on these models. It's hard to predict. One of my favorite quotes is from Yogi Berra. Uh, Yogi said, uh, a typical yogi, he says, it's really tough to make projections, especially about the future. And so and that's a classic yogi yeah. bear. And that, that's where we are basically right now. Um, let me uh, go over to electric cars for a second. You know, we're told that this can be the solution, right? We have all these big problems. They're very, very scary. But you know, electric cars can be our path out of this. This is something that's making the environment much, much better. We are starting to see them sell a little bit more. Certainly, uh, Elon Musk, is, uh, at least Teslas, are selling relatively well. A lot of the other companies seem to be losing billions and billions of dollars off of trying this. I mean, you're a geologist. A lot of rare earth minerals going into this whole process. Give me, give me the truth about electric cars. Well, we can't get to where they want to be because of the supply chain and the amount of rare earths and critical minerals that are needed. Some of these in particular, what's not talked about, you've probably heard people talking about lithium mm -hmm. and cobalt. That's, lithium's being mined, cobalt's being mined by child labor in the Congo. People are dying mining these things. But the, one of the biggest components that, that's needed for all of this is copper. And all of these, when you look at these, these elements and, and rare earth minerals that are needed, uh, there's just not enough capacity to do it. There won't be any rare earth mines in the United States. It's a, it's a nasty, brutish process with open pit mines. And there won't be one, any of those, I, don't, I doubt, in the United States. It's destined for third world, world developing nations where they have much relaxed, if you will, environmental policies that look the other way. And they'll, they'll destroy an area, mine it, and then walk away. 
mm. unreclaimed. We can't do that here in the United States. Because then that's one of the darkest parts of this whole, you know, spiel from them. Because you have a situation where what they're doing is taking our negative effects and throwing them at poor people around the world and then denying those same poor people fossil fuels in the future to make their lives better. It is. And, and, and we, we can look, too, at the at the solar panels, industrial, don't call them farms. These are industrial scale facilities and, and the wind farms that are being, or wind industrial scale yeah. wind facilities. Yeah. Uh, the biofuels are, are horrific. In the Southeast Asia, they're cutting down uh, mature forests and replanting palm oil trees, monoculture. Uh, they're, they're cutting down in Virginia and Northern Ca- or North Carolina, cutting down mature forests, turning them into pellets and shipping them to the United Kingdom. Uh, we're paving over uh, our forests and grasslands uh, with solar panels and, and wind turbines. It's it's almost as if we have to destroy the environment in order to save it. Mm. It's 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 horrible. We've got about a minute left here, uh, Greg. What can we do? What should be the right path forward for America and the world? We should utilize all of our resources uh, for the betterment of mankind and do it as good stewards. Let me repeat that. Mm. Use all of our resources for the betterment of mankind and do it as good stewards. That's one sentence that encapsulates what we should be doing. You and I are both environmentalists. We care about our environment. We care about endangered animals. And we, we don't want to do anything to harm those. But right now, what, we're, what I'm seeing, and based on my book, uh, boy, I tell you, Earth's ecosystems are, are just thriving and prospering. Mm. It's, it's a... It's truly something that we need to celebrate. It's, like, I call it, I call it the, the greatest untold story mm. of the 20th, 21st century. The world is getting better, although uh, I, I am uh, a little bit hurt that you came on the show and accused me of being an environmentalist. I don't think <laughs> I'm going to be able to get over that. Uh, a very convenient warming, how modest warming and more CO2 are benefiting humanity. The book is from Gregory Wrightstone, and it is going to be on sale in December. It's just a few weeks away, but get the pre-order in now. The, like, I mean, you know, you watch this show. All we do is charts and data all the time. This thing is jam-packed. You are going to have more charts than you ever want to look at uh, in this book. It's a great read, and it gives you all the information and makes it understandable for everyday people. Greg, thanks so much for coming on the program. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks for helping spread the news. We were talking a little bit about um, supply chains, uh, and that is a really important thing. We learned that during COVID, how important supply chains can be to your daily life. And one of the things that's really going on right now is the supply chain for medicine. If you haven't thought about that as part of your preparation package, you really need to. Jace Daily is from Jace Medical, They're the same company that brought you the Jace case. And Jace Daily is a subscription service that allows you to get up to 12 months of, of a backup supply for your prescription medications. And look, if things break down again, if a country like India or China decides, hey, we're not going to be sending you all these medications that we're making anymore, they want to keep it for themselves or they want to punish us, who knows? Uh, we're talking about you know daily medications for cholesterol or diabetes, or heart health, blood pressure, even mental health. If you're looking at, to try to prepare for the future, Jace Daily is a really great way to go. Your order is reviewed by a certified healthcare professional and delivered straight to your door. 
being prepared medically in the case of an emergency is so much more than having access to just antibiotics. You got to find peace of mind by having a long-term supply of your vital medications on hand. Go to jacemedical.com, jacemedical.com. You can subscribe to Jace Daily there. If you use the promo code STU, you can get a big discount on your order. It's jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E medical.com. Subscribe now to Jace Daily. So a uh, new CNN poll, CNN poll has uh, Donald Trump narrowly leading Joe Biden in a hypothetical rematch. Again, this one is 49 to 45. Um, this is not all that surprising. It's a little bit less optimistic for Trump than the New York Times Siena poll from a few days ago. But it is still kind of on that same front. This is not good news for Joe Biden. Now we're having multiple polls uh, tell him it's time for him to get out of the race. And you might say, well, wait a minute. That sounds like really good news. He's terrible. I don't know what what else is there. Like I Joe Biden's a sure thing for me. I know what he is. He may still win the election. I'm not saying uh, he wouldn't. In fact, he may very well be favored by the time the election rolls around. I, I, I don't want to downplay that. But he is very beatable. Uh, we know who he is. We know he's going to slur his words and, you know, get lost on stage and probably fall down a few times. We know what's what's ahead for this campaign. So you can kind of plan for it. Uh, we don't know what, I mean, Kamala, I have no faith in her, but uh, Michelle Obama, uh, Gavin Newsom, uh, who knows, Josh Shapiro, all these people get thrown out there. We don't know what they are yet. Um, so who knows, but that's what the latest poll from CNN is saying. Axelrod is, I don't know, just, I mean, he basically is begging Biden to get out of this race. Axelrod says he's stunned by the new CNN poll showing Trump leading Biden. Um, Biden allies are looking for silver linings and panic sparked by lackluster polls. They are looking for silver linings, but I mean, they're just they're just calming themselves to sleep. And when you when you get stressed out, you put on soft music, have some chamomile tea. It's a coping mechanism. And that's what they're doing right now. Their numbers are really bad. They do have plenty of time to turn this around. God only knows what's going to happen with Trump and the, you know, the trials and, and if someone else wins or who God, it's too early to know for sure. But it gives you a perspective. Basically, Democrats want polls telling them they're blowing out Trump because Trump is an insurrectionist and Hitler personified. And what they're getting is, holy crap, we're behind. So this is very stressful for them. Part of their strategy is to go after abortion. And, and I know, like, I don't agree with all the, uh, the talk about abortion when it comes to this particular campaign result last night. Let me give you three examples of this. And I think they're totally different reasons. We talked about Ohio. Ohio had a very misleading um, debate or uh, uh, abortion um, uh, vote last night. When the, the wording of it, we went over the other day, it makes it sound like it's something co totally different. And look, Republican voters were not activated. They're not going to not show up for a presidential election. They didn't show up for this one. And I look to our shame if you're a conservative, because look, the issue of life, I would argue, is more important than a presidential election. But we all know what's going to happen when the presidential election's on the line. Everyone's going to come out. So Ohio's not going to be a plus two state for Joe Biden in 2024. I would be very surprised if that occurs. So that state is a little weird. And I think there's a lot of lying going on. In Virginia, remember, Virginia is a, essentially a blue state. Virginia's a blue state. Uh, the fact that Yunkin is the governor and they've had some good results is separate from the fact that the electorate there is not friendly to conservative policies. I mean, they, ca they can't even get on board with a 15-week ban. Abortion probably did hurt some of the Republican candidates there. But, like, 
they're not going to win Virginia anyway in the presidential election. I got news for you. That's not happening. I mean, it would be a stunning, stunning shock if, a, if Donald Trump is going to win Virginia. It's, I'll tell you right now, it's not going to happen, and I'd bet on it today. And finally, in Kentucky, you know, Bashir uh, is the big headline there, and people are saying, oh, well, that was abortion-related too. Well, was it? I mean, maybe a lot of reporting is saying that, but I will tell you, going into that election, Andy Bashir's approval rating was 65%. Or no, sorry, 60 to 35 was the uh, 25. He's plus 25. He's one of the top 10 or 15 most popular governors in America in a in a red state. So I'm not surprised he won. And if you look at the other people on the ballot, Republicans won easily. It was just Bashir who was able to pull out uh, his race against uh, Cameron. So I don't know. Is it tied to abortion? Should we run from life, the life cause? My argument would be. No. However, even if it is, we still don't run from the life cause. That's how I feel about it. Um, and I know like, I know how I'm not always in the majority on this. But, you know, I don't know. I have this weird hang up on children being alive. So I don't know. I'm going to stick with that. Let me tell you about The Blind. It's the true story of the Robertson family, and it's now available for, available for purchase on Blaze TV. The Blind takes you on an incredible journey through the life of Phil Robertson. The Blind isn't a Blaze media production. We didn't make it. We don't own it. So we can't include it, unfortunately, as far, part of your uh, Blaze TV Plus subscription. But if you're going to buy it and watch it anyway, why can't you do it at Apple or Amazon? Buy it from us. Why not? BlazeTV.com slash The Blind. BlazeTV.com slash The Blind. Check it out now, and we will see you tomorrow.